Hi, I'm Morgan Goulet, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work as a therapist in private practice and also serve as a clinical trainer for a nonprofit organization where I develop curriculum and provide trainings to staff and the community. My hope with this podcast is to decrease stigma around mental health and substance use and encourage a more open and honest conversation. We're all human and we've all experienced our own struggles, so let's talk about it. And I'm Whitney Hodak, a working professional in Los Angeles, California. I struggle with my own mental health and I'm just curious about mental health in general. On this podcast, I'll be the layman to Morgan's expertise. This podcast is an exploration into common mental health issues. While Morgan is a trained and licensed therapist and the advice and conversation may be useful and relatable to you, your own personal experience should be advised and guided by your own mental health care provider. Hello everyone, welcome to Emotional Curiosity. Today we have another uh, topic that was suggested to us by a listener. Um, We're going to be talking about self-harm. Yeah, heavy topic. Heavy topic, but an important topic, definitely. So the most common type of self-harm that I always hear about is cutting, but there's a little Mm -hmm. bit more going on than just that. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, so I think that's what most people think of when they think of self-harm, and that it is a very common uh, form of self-harm, but self-harm can be a lot of different things. Um, You know, the definition of self-harm is just the act of purposely hurting yourself, um, typically as a coping mechanism to deal with uh, emotions. Um, So that can include obviously cutting, um, it can include scratching yourself, uh, burning yourself, uh, pulling out your hair, Uh, banging your head, punching or hitting yourself. Um, I mean, any way that you are are hurting yourself physically, um, Mm -hmm. those are some of the more common ones that I've seen and heard of. Um, But there's, you know, lots of ways that we can hurt ourselves. Yeah, and um, you mentioned that it is a way of coping. Mm -hmm. And to people that don't experience this, that seems like an odd way to cope but yeah. as you've had some experience with this with your patients and that type of thing what are kind of the reasons that people do stuff like that yeah so I think that's like one of the biggest questions that people that don't self-harm have is like why why would you do that right or how is this helpful mm-hmm. um, and there can be kind of a multitude of reasons um, that it's ha- that someone's engaging in it uh, but I think also it's important that self-harm itself, so just to just like a distinction that self-harm itself is not considered a mental illness, but it's often, you know, a way that people are coping with either mental illness or like really challenging things that are going on in their lives. So oftentimes people get to a place where they're really overwhelmed with emotions and that feels like a release for them. Harming themselves in some way um, feels like a way to release some of those emotions and, you know, kind of provides... A sense of relief momentarily mm-hmm. um, so that is one reason why people self-harm um, another reason why someone might self-harm is like the opposite they feel very numb um, mm-hmm. they don't feel anything they're not really experiencing any emotions and that is a way for them to feel something um, and so that's kind of the you know both extremes as extreme sides of the spectrum or the you know both sides of the spectrum of why people may self-harm um, but self-harm also does release endorphins so when you are engaging in self-harm you do feel good for that period of time momentarily Mm -hmm. um but then obviously it can become a very vicious cycle that's super interesting that's Mm -hmm. the part that i 
was not aware of and makes a little bit more sense that you do get some sort of like I don't want to call it a high because it's yeah. not really but some sort of like pleasantness from something that sounds so painful yeah yeah and I think for obviously most of us that don't engage in self-harm it seems like well why like it seems really hard to wrap your head around why or how you could get to that point mm-hmm. um, but I think once you do get to that point and you are engaging in that like one yes you're getting a little bit of a a reward as far as like the endorphin high in your brain and then also it can become really cyclical because it's also wrapped up oftentimes with a lot of shame and guilt so you get this release or you feel these emotions that you've been wanting to feel but then you kind of immediately afterwards or very shortly afterwards feel a lot of shame guilt you don't share that this is happening with anyone and that just kind of then becomes your way of like coping with that and it just continues over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could imagine that if you're engaging in something like this, if you're feeling overwhelmed with your emotional state, that mm-hmm. it's kind of a way to focus all of your energy very intensely into one sort of right immediate activity yeah and it can give you a sense of like control for mm-hmm. a moment right um which is another reason why people might engage in self-harm there's so many things going on around them and it's just like too much and that gives them something like you said to focus and that thing to control mm-hmm. in their situation um it can also serve as a distraction from things going on so there are a lot of of reasons why um and i don't want to limit it obviously to just like you know these these three reasons are why mm-hmm. people self-harm uh, but those are some of the the more common ones that we see is just like an overwhelming overwhelming sense of emotions and it gives a release or a sense of control or a distraction from that or no you know very numb no emotions and it helps you to feel something and after like studying stuff like this i think it's easy easy i guess to clinically put these um terms aside to like it's coping it's a distraction it's control but when your patients are doing something like this and they come to talk to you about it is that how they identify it or are they able to identify it in that way I just needed to distract myself or it depends on the person Mm -hmm. um you know some people have like a level of insight into what they're doing and why they're doing it and some people are like i don't know why i can't like it it's the only thing that helps i can't stop but i want to stop type of thing um and some of them don't want to stop right it's like the only thing that's helpful for them um so it just it really depends on the type of person um and oftentimes people are very hesitant to share even with their therapist that they are engaging in self-harm or that they have engaged in self-harm because again there's like this level of guilt and shame around it and I think at least for the general population when we hear that someone is cutting themselves or hurting themselves in some way it's like people oftentimes think like oh well they're suicidal and they you know Mm -hmm. have a very large reaction to that which they could be um Mm -hmm. they could be suicidal but just because someone is engaging in self-harm doesn't mean that they are suicidal or want to die Mm mm-hmm and it's hard for an outside person to spot this typically, right? Yeah, it's because, again, there's so much, you know, um, guilt and shame around it that people usually go to links to hide it. Um, so, you know, there are some signs to be aware of or that you can try to be aware of. Um, you know, if people are wearing, like, long sleeves or long pants, even when it's really hot outside, um, they may be engaging in cutting or scratching or burning themselves and trying to kind of hide those Um, scars if they're really hesitant you know like if you're on a beach vacation or something and they're not 
wearing a bathing suit or they're, you know, again, just like covered up. Um, that could be an indication um, if they're engaging in like hitting themselves, you know, punching themselves, things like that. They may have bruises or injuries frequently. Um, but again, they, you know, people tend to in, like cut in areas oftentimes or do things in areas where they're not going to be seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another indication of kind of the level of seriousness or can be an indication of the level of seriousness if someone is cutting on, you know, their um, wrists or their arm where you can see it versus like if someone's cutting the inside of their thighs Mm -hmm. um, or becoming, you know, being really secretive kind of with where they are self-harming. It sounds like something that would be a difficult thing to engage in a conversation about for somebody that's even trying to help that person. Like, Hey, are you cutting yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I guess that is the that is an appropriate thing to say, but I imagine that people are, as with a lot of different types of mental health, not not particularly forthcoming with that information. Yeah, and it's again, it's a scary thing I think for most people to think about uh, mm-hmm. someone that they love doing, um, especially because it can be so difficult for someone to understand, like the why. Yeah. Um, because it's like, well, I've been sad or I've been anxious and I would never do that type of thing. And so there's that lack of understanding, which can then cause people to be really frustrated or upset with the person who is, you know, self-harming. Um, I think it can, you know, it feels a little bit similar to um, like addiction in that way where mm-hmm. you, people tend to get really frustrated with like, why can't you just stop? Yeah. You know, um, it's like, well, it's not, it's not that easy. So it is a hard conversation to have. Um, but I think if you do, for whatever reason, um, have a suspicion or know for a fact that someone that you care about is self-harming, it is important to talk to them about it. Um, and just to, again, bring up your concern, just like with anything else, like, hey, you know, I, I want to talk about this. I've noticed this or I, I, you know that I saw you do this if maybe you caught them um, in the act of self-harming or something um, or if they shared with you just like really validating um, their experience Mm -hmm. and also like normalizing that you know unfortunately this is not an uncommon thing Um, I think we think that it is more uncommon um, than it is but it's it's unfortunately a pretty common occurrence for people um, that are struggling with their mental health that's so interesting because for for me it's not something that I've ever considered um and I don't to my knowledge to my knowledge know (laughs) anybody that does it so that's interesting that it is fairly prevalent yeah I think even you know if it's not something that someone's done you know over and over and over again like a lot of people get to a breaking point right where they just are so overwhelmed with life with work with whatever and sometimes that feels like the only option in that moment um and so there are you know several people who it's like maybe they didn't self-harm for you know months and months but they did it one time um Mm. and so it's important i think just to normalize that like this does happen and it's okay but i'm also concerned and i want to make sure that you're okay um again, like I said earlier, it doesn't mean that someone's suicidal, but we do also want to check in. Like, have you thought about, um, you know, killing yourself? Have you wished that you were dead? Uh, because it can be an indication that someone is suicidal. It's just not always. 
Yeah. Well, and even if it's even if their intention is not um, suicide by doing these activities, it's still there's still a risk factor to mm-hmm. it. You could get infected. You could hit a, a vein or an artery or whatever that yeah. you weren't expecting. And yeah. Absolutely. Especially if someone is self-harming while they're using substances, mm. um, which which happens um, a lot as well. So if someone is drinking or, you know, using drugs and then they're engaging in self-harm while they're drunk or high, there's a much higher chance, obviously, of them seriously hurting themselves, even if that wasn't their intention, mm-hmm. um, because you're not, you know, fully present. Um, and so being really mindful of that as well, you know, trying to get information, um, it's really important when you're having the discussion to not be judgmental, obviously, you know, thank them for being open, again, validating and normalizing their feelings. But also we want to get some information around, you know, like, what do they typically use to self-harm with? Um, are they usually, you know, sober or are they using substances if that's something that they're struggling with as well? How often is it happening? Uh, do they know what triggers them to do that? Um, some people engage in self-harm on like a pretty regular and consistent basis and some people it's a little bit more infrequent Um, and so just trying to get as much information as possible to see what's you know what is the level of of risk that they're at Um, again for whether it's intentionally or unintentionally getting to a point where they seriously injure or you know accidentally um, kill themselves Mm -hmm. is there something to the process of self-harm where people feel um another added layer of control or something by taking care of their wound afterwards like cleaning it and stuff yeah just like something that they know that they can affect change on yeah I mean that's interesting I've never I guess heard someone like talk about that component of it Mm -hmm. um but that makes sense and we could certainly see that yeah yeah because it is you know again like it, it can become very, like, ritualistic um, for people. So I could see that being part of the process, obviously. And have you found in your experience uh, that people choose this mode of coping over others? You mentioned that sometimes there's, like, layers of mm-hmm. they're cutting or they're burning and they're also using drugs and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's one course of um we'll call it self-imposed treatment I guess is it has anybody talked to you about like I'd rather do this than like get drunk or something like that yeah I mean usually people are using other coping skills whether they're healthy or unhealthy um but this might just be like the main one that they're Mm -hmm. doing. Or like I said, some people do it really regularly and consistently, and that's kind of like the only thing Mm -hmm. that they have um, that works for them. Some people, it's like they get to that breaking point. They're maybe trying other coping skills. They're trying to do other things, not to, you know, engage in self-harm, and then they kind of tip over and they engage in it. Um, So it depends on the person. Again, like some people are going to be doing multiple things, could be healthy coping skills along with this. Um, and some people are going to be engaging in a variety of, of unhealthy things, um, or just self-harming, you know, mm-hmm. some people that's, that's how they learned how to cope. Right. Um, it's like, this works for me and it's a pretty effective thing in the moment. Um, just like drugs and alcohol, right? Like it, it works really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then unfortunately it also doesn't solve the issue. So those feelings come back uh, relatively quickly as well. 
So if you're the person that is doing this to yourself, what are the, I mean, what if you don't feel like it's a problem? Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, at least uh, most of my experience with self-harming has been with teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, And I think oftentimes they aren't at a place where they see it as a problem or want to change it. Um, You know, that could be for a lot of reasons, but again, it's effective for them. Um, They, you know, typically the ones that are engaging in it that I've worked with haven't been suicidal as well. There have been, you know, several who are, um, but I think also depends on the type of self-harm that they're doing, where um, I think with cutting, because it's talked about so often, um, and because you can obviously pretty seriously injure yourself um, with like a razor blade or a knife or whatever they're using to cut, um, think that my experience has been that they take it a little bit more seriously or that they feel a little bit more like shame around it or go to more lengths to hide it. Um, but if they're like scratching themselves really hard, it's like, oh, well, it's not, I'm not really hurting myself. Mm-hmm. I'm just scratching myself. Um, so the, the method that they're using could also lead them to not see it as a problem. Um, but I think, again, if someone share, has shared it with me, um, my my goal is to really find out, like, what is it doing for them? How is it benefiting them? Mm-hmm. Um, what are they getting from it? Um, you know, and again, to try to assess, like, are they also suicidal or is this just really a way to cope? And how can we find something that gives them the same thing mm-hmm. um, or a similar effect, but isn't obviously, obviously going to cause them harm? Yeah, I can imagine that it might be difficult for somebody to come to terms if they feel like it's not hurting anybody but themselves. Right. It's not hurting people in the same way uh, that addiction, substance abuse mm-hmm. does because that affects everybody around you. Yeah. Or even like an eating disorder because people yeah. can see that and it affects them. How they would come to decide that it's not a healthy thing for them to engage in anymore yeah and I think that's one of the more challenging things of working uh, with someone who has self-harm is because again it is usually very secretive it's not something that maybe other people know about um, or maybe like their family has identified but no one else knows and I think trying to help them get to a place where even if it's not in their eyes negatively impacting the other people in their life or causing a bunch of chaos and things like maybe someone using substances would they're still hurting themselves um and you know they're an important person so like how can we find a different way to get that same benefit same level of or you know close to that same type of coping in a way that's not going to harm themselves because even if it's not causing chaos and like everyone's you know not aware of it if they did become aware of it like they're going to be worried about you as well um it's just a different you know impact just like if someone's you know, has severe anxiety or depression, people in their life are still worried about them. It still impacts other people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, ultimately, like we, my goal is for someone to get to a place where they want to heal, like for themselves, um, not for other people, but that could obviously be a a benefit too. Yeah. Well, when you're only being asked to heal for yourself, it Mm -hmm. can have um, like an indication of what your self-esteem is looking like. Yeah. So a lot of work definitely Mm -hmm. around that and like feeling like you're worth, you know, taking care of, Mm -hmm. um, feeling like you're important enough to, you know, not, you know, not do this to yourself and that 
you know, there are other ways. Um, I think it's, it can often be used as like a punishment as well, um, where people do have really low self-esteem, they don't like themselves, and so they engage in this as a way to like punish themselves for whatever it might be. Um, and so it, it's hard, you know, and I think mental health obviously is complicated just in general, but self-harm can be really complicated as well because again, people in their life might be like, well, just stop. Just yeah. why, why are you doing this? Like, it can't be, you, how do you like this? And this isn't helpful and you're hurting yourself and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, it's a long process. It's not just a like, oh, I'm going to stop self-harming and I just stop. You know, it might be for some people, but that's not the typical process. It's, it's challenging. And there could be times where they don't self-harm for, you know, a couple months and then they, they do. Um, and so being able to have a really open mind and be supportive and listen to why they're doing it and what it does for them and not judge them um, is really, really important because they already have so much like shame around the fact oftentimes around the fact that they're doing it at all yeah this one seems like more in the lines of things that the wider community might not understand Mm -hmm. as well as I think we're we're all familiar with substance abuse we're all familiar with eating disorders Mm -hmm. but this one because it's so secretive and so under the radar that people just aren't as exposed if they're not the person doing it yeah, exactly. And again, it can be very, it can be misunderstood as like, oh, you want to, like, you want to kill yourself? It's like, well, no, I mean, sometimes maybe the case, but oftentimes it has nothing to do with like suicidal ideation. Again, it's just a way to cope. Um, and so I think talking about it is really important, but it's also hard to talk about because people don't understand it. Um, yeah. So if you are a person that is self-harming or maybe has self-harmed in the past, I think having those conversations, you know, with a person that you trust is also really key in explaining, you know, this is why I do it and this is what it does for me Mm -hmm. um, so that they can understand because there isn't, I think, as much discussion or education around it to the general public. And so, again, it can be like, can have a really big reaction, um, which can then kind of put the person off of of sharing uh, because they don't want to worry or upset, you know, that person. Yeah, or alienate people. Mm-hmm. Like, if your friends are not safe friends, you know? Right. They think that you're crazy or you're, mm-hmm. like, into some weird shit or something like that. It's just, I can see how this would be very, very yeah. alienating um, for people to admit to, to yeah. the people that they're close with if, they, if that's not a, a super safe relationship. Yeah, which is obviously if you are sharing, you know, want to make sure that it is someone that's safe. And if you don't feel like you have someone that's safe, you know, talk to a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. It's This is a really hard thing, especially if you're engaging in it regularly to kind of cope with and get through on your own without dealing with the underlying emotion. Um, you can, you know, like implement something else um, in place, but if you're not actually dealing with what's going on that's causing you to engage in self-harm, it's, it's hard to heal from. Um, and so it is important to, you know, like always, uh, talk to, <laughs> talk to a professional about it, um, and be honest about it. Um, you know, I, I think at least hopefully all therapists, uh, have a level of training and understanding where they aren't going to have that type of reaction. Um, if they do, then, um, it might be worth looking for another therapist. Um, mm-hmm. because really the goal should be trying to understand 
how are you benefiting from it? What is it doing for you? And how can we start to, you know, address those underlying emotions and give you maybe a replacement coping skill in the meantime? So if somebody comes to you and tells you, decides that they trust you, mm-hmm. they're going to tell you that they're um, burning or scratching or whatever the case may be, self-harming. Yeah. What are some things not to do in response? <laughs> uh, don't get angry <laughs> at them. Great. Uh, don't be dismissive. Um, obviously of their feelings um, and don't make them promise to stop Um, this is something that commonly happens is you know because again it is scary for the other person to know that they're worried about them um, and oftentimes they'll try to get the person to promise that they won't engage in self-harm again um, which unfortunately is not effective obviously and oftentimes then we'll cause the person who is self-harming to not disclose if they do in the future because they don't want to disappoint or upset that person. So it adds another layer of like guilt or shame Mm -hmm. um, to what they're already feeling. Well, that also feels like a quick uh, solve for the person that's being told. It's like, oh, this is hard. Um, Just promise me you won't do it anymore. Yeah. Okay, you promise. We're good now. It's more about exactly like pacifying your own discomfort and feelings where you're not actually addressing what's going on with that person or helping them in any way. You're just trying to make yourself feel better and you obviously don't want this person to harm themselves. And it's like, well, just promise me that you'll stop. You can't, you know. (laughs) It's not that easy. Totally unrealistic. Yeah. Um, so those are all things, you know, that I would recommend not doing. Um, so, you know, thank them for being open with you. Um, ask them, you know, how they're doing, what you can do to support them. Um, you know, some people, when they come to a place where they are sharing with another person are doing so because they do want help. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, is there anything that you can do to support them? Um, if they are feeling like self-harming, like what coping skills can they do instead like can you guys go for a walk together can you you know go watch a movie can you whatever do something um together potentially and you can be that safe person where they're like hey this is what i'm feeling like doing can we do x um and so being there for them um obviously encouraging them to seek help um from a professional and again just really trying to understand the why behind it um that's i think one of the most important things because if we can help to start understanding the why then that's going to be more helpful in identifying what else we can do um and again just really validating um, their feelings and normalizing the experience so it's okay to ask them why Mm -hmm. it's okay yeah like you know what um you know what do you feel like this does for you like how in what ways does this help you not of like why are you doing this yeah (laughs) type of approach yeah um but you know how is this helping you and what does it what does it do for you Mm -hmm. so that I can maybe try to help you find something you know that brings you the same type of feeling or relief or whatever uh, it might be Mm -hmm. and I guess the person that is committing the self-harm needs to be open and ready to change yeah um but again i think like someone might be in a place where they recognize like "Mm, i don't necessarily want to keep doing this or i know maybe that i shouldn't be doing this or this isn't the healthiest thing for me 
but that doesn't mean that they're gonna just like be able to easily change, right? Mm. Um, or even fully want to, because it is benefiting them right. in some reason, in some ways, uh, rather. So I think also accepting that it's going to take time, mm-hmm. um, and that being okay. Again, just similar to addiction, like there might be relapses and and you know, times where they do self harm, even if there's been periods of times you know where they haven't. And so if they do come to you after a month of not self-harming and say, you know, I did um, engage in self-harm, like, again, thank them for being honest with you, you know, ask questions, you know, is there anything I can do? How are you doing? You know, what kind of got you to that point again? Um, And just be understanding that it is a process and it takes time. Have you found, this doesn't seem to be the case, but that people do this type of activity for any kind of attention seeking like some people might be like you just want attention like why are you yeah that certainly happens um and I think again like when I mentioned a a little bit earlier at the beginning um it can be a sign of like what the risk level is um Mm -hmm. depending on kind of how they're um, self-harming where they're self-harming um if they're talking about it and in what ways they're talking about it. Um, I've unfortunately seen that, especially uh, with adolescents. Um, you know, I would say it's not as common, uh, but it definitely happens mm-hmm. where, you know, there is like a, an engaging and cutting or things like that um, for attention, whether mm-hmm. it's from parents, from peers, uh, whoever it might be. Um, but even if that's happening, that's there's something else going on right like why you know why are we getting to the point that we're engaging in self-harm for attention what's underlying that um so it's still something to take seriously and still something to you know encourage them to seek help for yeah so even though oftentimes people are like you're just doing x y and z for attention Mm -hmm. that's well sure why why do they need that attention and (laughs) right you sh- it shouldn't be dismissed. Exactly. Because if, if they feel like they have to go to that level mm-hmm. to get attention, there's obviously something else going on uh, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So it's still important. Um, so, yeah, again, just don't be dismissive and, and really validate. whether, Regardless of what you think the reason is for, um, it's, it's something to take seriously. Yeah. And then, again, back to the flip side of the person that's receiving this information as it pertains to, you know, there's there's so many similarities to addiction and stuff, and you as the person that are receiving the information sometimes have to put up a fair amount of boundaries to protect yourself from getting pulled into somebody's mm-hmm. um, addiction behavior, basically. Is that something that you find comes up with this type of, with self-harm as well? Uh, it does. I feel like it's come. It comes up maybe a little bit less. Um, mm-hmm. Just again, like like you were saying, it's not something that, that people get pulled into as much, other than obviously being very concerned yeah. for this individual. Um, but I think it happens more in the cases of attention seeking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where there is more, there has to be more of a balance of boundaries there, um, and much more discussion uh, um, around like how can we get this attention or provide this, you know, meet this need that this person is clearly trying to fill without them engaging in this behavior, but still maintaining a sense of boundaries for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can get, I think, more complicated in that regard. Um, 
but it's different. You know, the, the behavior itself is, you know, similar or can be similar in addiction as far as like the repetition and kind of, you know, what's going on in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, you, it's a very different type of behavior. So it doesn't impact other people in your life in the same type of way as, you know, substance use might. So if you're at the point where you're ready to engage with some different type of coping mechanism, you've told someone you're engaging in self-harm, you're in therapy, how do you recover from something like this? I think uh, identifying why you're self-harming, again, is really key. So paying attention to how you feel before you self-harm, like what's going on as far as how you're feeling, the thoughts that you're having, how you're feeling in your body, what's going on during how you feel during that, and then how are you feeling after. Mm -hmm. So starting to pay attention to those. Or if you're not self-harming, if you're currently, you know, um, not engaging in that behavior, when when are you thinking about it? Like, when is it coming up? Like, oh, I wish that I could do this or I really want to do this. How are you feeling in those moments? Um, Talking, obviously, to your therapist about that or journaling about that as well. Um, And then implementing alternative coping mechanisms. So there's obviously a lot of different things that we can do, but some common ones um, are like having a rubber band on your wrist and snapping that uh, when you have the urge to self-harm, holding ice cubes in your hands and kind of squeezing them uh, when you're having that urge. Um, Journaling, like I mentioned, exercise can be a really helpful one, especially if you need some sort of physical release, like Mm -hmm. something like boxing or kickboxing or, you know, even running or whatever Mm -hmm. um, can give a bit of that release as well as like the endorphins that you would get Mm -hmm. um, if you're self-harming, coloring, meditating, doing something with your hands, like some sort of craft um, can be helpful as far as like a distraction, Um, drawing or painting the part of your body that you would typically self-harm as well. Um, Punching a pillow, you know, don't punch walls or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, But punching things that uh, are soft um, or like a punching bag. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of different coping skills, but those are, you know, some common ones. But in order to identify what's going to be maybe the most helpful for you, it's going to come from like what are you gaining from this? What feelings are coming up for you and how is self-harming? What purpose is it serving? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that kind of sums up our episode on self-harm. Anything else that we should touch on before we wrap it up? Um, I think we touched on a lot of a lot of things. Um, if you are engaging in self-harm, again, like it's it's not anything to be ashamed of. It's okay to seek help. And if you know someone that is, you know, talk to them about it and ask questions and be there to support them through that process. Um, if you have any questions ideas for topics anything that you're interested in hearing you can head over to our instagram and leave us a comment or if you want to leave us a review um, on any topics or things that you like about the show we would love that and our instagram handle is emotional curiosity at emotional curiosity yeah (laughs) all right everybody take care of yourselves all right bye. bye